0: Well, welcome to Sedaris. Are we on there? Welcome to Sedaris. My name's Dave. I'm a pastor here. Let me just say happy Easter to you. This is an exciting time. So exciting that we left the lights on in the house so we could see everything because it's Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Now, here's the thing. I was seeing how many of you knew the slogan. He is risen He is risen indeed. Now, if you don't know that, no worries, okay? I know we live in a city like Seattle. In fact, growing up, I was taught this little slogan where if someone says to you, He is risen, your response is, He is risen indeed. But I, to be honest, didn't know how many of the people that I was walking and going to school with knew any of that. So at Easter time... You know, if somebody accidentally said, he is risen, I didn't know if I should say it out loud, if that'd make me look weird or what, because we do live in Seattle in the state of Washington, the second least church state in the Union, so I wasn't sure what to do. Now, after college, I uh, moved down to Dallas, Texas, and I had a very different experience. In fact, every other house had something in their yard that said, he is risen indeed. (laughs) And it was like, this is weird, I guess I should be saying this a lot more. So if you've never heard this slogan, He is risen, He is risen indeed, you're in very good company, especially here in Seattle. So let me explain it to you, why we do that. And we'll see in the passage that we're looking at today, speaking of the resurrection, we'll see where this comes from. But basically what you're doing, in the first line, He is risen, this is just a proposition. This is a proposition. Jesus is risen. Followed by the second line, which is an exclamation. He is risen indeed. And the idea is something like this, the indeed, I mean, it gets lost in translation because sometimes when I hear the word indeed, I think of, you know, an old stuffy Englishman saying indeed, indeed. That's not really the idea. The idea here is more of like a great epiphany, like your mind was just blown. You're like, really? This really happened? And the answer is yes. So when we say Christ is risen, statement of fact or supposed fact, And the following line is, no, no, really, honestly, truly, in every sense of the word, in in real life, and physical reality, He is risen. So, we'll try it here. If I say, He is risen, you say, risen risen indeed. Now, I want to take a look today at the reality behind He is risen indeed, even if you grew up knowing that, even if you lived in Dallas, Texas, and every other yard had, He is risen indeed, planted in it. The reality is this, that many of us say, yes, He is risen, or even He has risen indeed, but deep down in our core, we don't actually fully believe that He's indeed risen. I know this about myself and many that I talk to. We're not always indeed people. We're not always sure when we exclaim, Christ is risen. And what we'll actually see today, and I hope it's very comforting to you, is that you're not that different than the original disciples. They too struggled to say, indeed. And so as we kind of go on this journey, uh, if you would, let's pray and just ask God to sort of show himself to us that we might become indeed kinds of people. Father, we thank you for this chance to come and to preach your word publicly. We know that we have a great privilege in this country to gather corporately, publicly, to proclaim the name of Jesus, to say that he is risen, and even to exclaim he is risen indeed. And so we don't take it lightly and and we just thank you for Easter, such a unique day in our calendar year. Give us eyes to see you and to see your son Jesus for who he really is. Open our hearts, tear down any defenses that we've put up. Maybe some of us have been to Easter so many times that we've gotten very good at not really listening. I pray, Lord, that we'd really listen tonight as we hear your word proclaimed to us through your scriptures that you gave to humanity that we might know you better. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray all of this. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the ends of your rows. You can also look it up on your phone. You can just Google it if you'd like. If you don't own a Bible, we just say take one of these ones that you see or that's in the seat back in front of you. Take that as a gift from us to you. We think it's a valuable piece of property that you might enjoy having for the rest of your life. So just take that. The Gospel of Luke is one of the four Gospels that explains Jesus' life and explains to us the things that He did, the things that He said. And as we'll see, it gives us an account of His death and His resurrection. And you know, there's lots of reasons to get excited about Easter. You know, for men, I think it's it's so exciting because it's that one day a year where, I mean, absolutely no questions asked. If you wear pastel, no problem. I love it. I don't always wear a jacket, but uh, I got one on right now. If you can't tell, and I uh, I only bring it out on Easter. Got to look good on Easter. I don't know why, (laughs) but I just feel like I got to wear a jacket. And I of course got to wear pastel. It's also great for women because it's that one time a year where you can you know ask your husbands to do yard work and they have to say yes. You know, I don't know. Is that true? I feel like that's true. (laughs) Maybe not. So everybody loves Easter. And I think everybody, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you know, Easter's a great day. It's a great holiday. It's a great day of family and fun and a reminder that spring is coming and new life and all those things. But ever since the founding of the church, Easter has meant a little bit more to some people. And really, this is the, the reason that I want to talk about this today is I think sometimes we forget why even do we celebrate Easter? And ultimately, we celebrate Easter because of this man named Jesus. And one of the things that we want to be about as a church, and we're so glad if you're new with us, is we just want to be a place where people can come and honestly consider who was Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today, because it's Easter. It's the reason that we celebrate Easter. It's the reason that around the world, Easter is being celebrated. It's because of this man, Jesus. But the question is, who is Jesus? Now, it's interesting that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus physically walked the earth, the people in Jesus' own country, in his hometown, those who listened to him and followed him, people that were even healed by him, that watched him walk on water, that watched him heal sick, that listened to him preach with an uncommon kind of power and wisdom, they were constantly asking the same question, who is this guy? And we might think they all answered the same, but it's very clear that there were differing answers to that question. Who is Jesus? And as we read the account of Jesus' life, and we read his, uh, his words, and we read of His deeds in the Gospels, what we see is that Jesus invited this question. He loved this question. In fact, it's the question He wanted people to ask the most, so much so that what we see Him doing is turning the question around and asking it to others. If they would say to Him, who are you? He would turn to them and say, who do you say that I am? He loved that question. Who do you say that I am? Now, I think what's interesting is that there's two kind of common responses. And I want to show us that actually those common responses were the same then as they are today. Like the vast majority of people responded to the question of who is Jesus in one of two ways. Now, of course, there's the small minority who hated him, and we have those people today that they, they just hate Jesus. They hate his name. They hate everything that he stands for. They hate everybody that follows him. They have disgust. But that's a really small minority, if we're honest. That's a small minority of people who have this sort of very negative view of Jesus. But the vast majority of people respond positively to Jesus. And it was the same in his day. The vast majority responded positively. So you'd see these big crowds that would come around him to hear his teaching. And today, I think most people respond positively to to Jesus. But their positive responses aren't uniform, right? They're not the same. So today I think you know, most people in their positive responses will respond in one of two ways. Same then as it is now. The first group of people in Jesus' day would have said, he is a great prophet. That's the word they would have used, prophet. Which means that he spoke with great wisdom and insight that he understood the world in a a unique way, that he had kind of an uncommon power about him. So first century Jewish people would have called Jesus a great prophet. Today I think we'd probably choose the word teacher over prophet, though we might intermix them if we're in this category. And we admit that Jesus had a very unique, powerful, impactful way of seeing the world, that perhaps even he was inspired in some way by God, so that the things that he did were special. You know, he might have even healed some people. And so likewise, we feel like Jesus is one of those people that we should learn from. And there's some of his teaching that we should adhere to. First century Jews, there was this group that believed the same thing. A great prophet, we should listen to what he says. But that's not exactly the same as this second group of people. And the second group of people responded to Jesus in this way. They answered the question, who is Jesus like this? They said, He was the Son of God. He was their Savior. He's the one that reconciled human beings to God the Father. And perhaps the strongest of things that they would say is that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. You see how that's not the same response? Both positive, but not the same response. Both then and now, people respond that way to the the question, who is Jesus? it's different than just saying that he's a prophet or a teacher. It has implications, if you answer in that way, that are very different than than just uh, the first group. Because what he was and, and, and what he said, it touches every aspect of your life if you're a part of this category. And there's, there's some things, again, that I'll just reiterate that are similar and dissimilar, just so we can kind of get the idea, because this is what we're talking about today. They're similar in that they believe, whichever category the people were in in Jesus' day and today, they would believe that Jesus had ongoing significance, that he wasn't just significant to one group of people, that he be, continues to have significance. I think most people would agree with that. And both groups of people, they generally like Jesus. They have a general attitude of respect towards his teaching, thinking that it's important, helpful. And then the third thing is they generally would pass on the things that Jesus would say. You know, we see that. I mean, I've even heard you know political candidates in this season quote Jesus as a way of saying, yes, this was a good teaching. Candidates that you might not otherwise think would be on good terms with Jesus. But people generally like Jesus. Those are the things we have similarly. They think he taught some good moral teachings that all people can learn from and benefit society. But now there's the dissimilar parts. Again, let me reiterate this. It's not just about respect, but it's how you respond to that respect. And the two categories will be different. How do you respond to the respect you have? I don't know if any of you like reading biographies or maybe watching biographies. Anybody like reading or watching biographies? Just raise your hand. Three people. Okay. Makes me feel better. <laughs> I, I love biographies. I Man, I love studying and learning about uh, dead people, typically, that did something important with their life. I love these things, you know. You, you know I recently saw a movie about MLK, watched a, a show, on, a BBC show on Winston Churchill, read a book on Bonhoeffer. And here's the thing with biographies. I think one of the reasons I like them so much is because I can see what made this person great, and I can pick and I can choose the things that I kind of like that they did. But the other thing you see in biographies is some of these people were, you know, kind of jacked up. Like they did some really great things, but they also were kind of really interesting. You know, Winston Churchill was a great man, but he wasn't exactly the picture of sort of, you know, who you want to bring home to your parents, you know. So we, we like to read and to understand biographies uh, because when we're done with them, we can put them back up on the shelf and they become kind of wall art. And when we need it, we can go back and pull them off the shelf and be inspired and reminded. And we can pick and choose which parts we like and don't like. We can see and use those when it's beneficial to us, but when it's not, we don't have to. And so for a lot of people, this is how they treat Jesus. Jesus. It's just a biography of a great man, and I like some of the things, and I pick and choose the things that I like, and you know, I come to Jesus when it's beneficial for me. But the second group of people, they don't think it's just a biography. When they read the Word of God, they think there's something different about it. So to say that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, that he's the Son of God, that kind of respect will trans- translate into a totally different kind of response, Right? We no longer can, if we say this is true of Jesus, we can no longer pick and choose which things we like that he said and which things that we don't. We can't just put him on the shelf when we don't need him and then pick him off the shelf when we need him. It's not just a biography with some helpful ideas. It's a commandment from God above. And so when we study the beginning of the Jesus movement after his death, and we start to see what happened from then until now, what we see is that it's this group of people that saw Jesus as the Lord of heaven and earth, the Son of God, that has moved the ball down the field for the Christian faith because they believe that it's not just part, but it's all that he taught, that everything that he commanded we are to respond to in the affirmative. And so throughout the years, the world has been changed by people who say Jesus is not just a great teacher or even just a prophet. He's the Lord of all. These are the kind of people that I call indeed people. True indeed people. And what we see, see these two categories, and what we see from Jesus' death till now is that there is one main Deciding factor between which category you put yourself in. Either explicitly or implicitly, this is the question that you have to answer. Did Jesus rise from the dead? It's the resurrection. It's the one thing that puts people in either of those categories. It's the linchpin. It's what we celebrate on Easter. It's why Easter is such an important day in the Christian faith because it's this day that we remember in a unique way, the resurrection. Now, that doesn't mean we don't remember it every other day of the year, but today is the day where we focus on it. It's the linchpin. And what we see when we even read the disciples of Jesus, the apostles who wrote for us the New Testament, we see for them it was the same thing. So let me just give you a few examples. It's the resurrection that's the linchpin. So Peter giving the very first sermon in the Jesus movement, you see this in in Acts, which is the kind of sequel to Luke, which we'll be looking at the Gospel of Luke. In the sequel, we get the very first sermon of the Jesus movement in Acts 2.28, and Peter says this, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. That was sort of the most respected Jewish king of all time. He's saying he's still in the grave. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, that's David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor does his flesh flesh see corruption. This Jesus God's raised up, and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The resurrection was the linchpin of the very first sermon of the Jesus movement. Now Paul in Acts 17 an apostle himself, wrote much of the New Testament, says this when he's bringing the news of Jesus to Athens. The people of Athens, Greece, had never before heard of Jesus, and this is what he brought to them, saying, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver silver or stone, an image formed by the art of imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people, Everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Setting it up. There's coming a day of judgment and there's a man who God's appointed to be the judge on that day. And this is what he says. And of this man, he has given us assurance, assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's how we know who the man is. And of course, he's speaking of Jesus. God has given us assurance that Jesus is the man because he raised him from the dead. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. The resurrection is the key to understanding Christianity and it is the key to understanding which group you belong to. That Jesus is a great teacher and a prophet and I respect him greatly. Or Jesus is the Lord of all. So clearly, we have to wrestle with this question. And I think that as we wrestle with it, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you're not sure whether or not you're a Christian, as you struggle through this concept of resurrection, I want, I want to just take one option off the table for you. And it goes like this. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an option. It's a place that we go. I know I go there. I know people of our generation go there. People of this country go there. It goes something like this. We can't believe in a real physical resurrection because we're modern people. And so we throw this common defense up in our minds and our hearts against the true story of Jesus when we hear it by saying this, well, you know, those first followers of Jesus, they were ancient people. It was very natural or easy for them to believe in the things like resurrection and miracles. It was very easy for them to start calling people Lord of heaven and earth, son of God. But I'm a modern person. I just can't believe those kinds of things. I don't, I'm not gullible like that. I'm learned. I'm scientific. In fact, just this morning, uh, somebody posted something on Facebook And I clicked on it, and it was an article in the uh, the Wall Street Journal, a great article about Easter and its importance, and actually said a lot of what was in my sermon. And then I started reading the comments below, and it was interesting. There was one particularly aggressive individual, and let me just read a few of the things he said. A much more rational approach is to acknowledge that the writers of the Bible were simply ordinary people disadvantaged by the, rea- uh, the relatively extreme lack of knowledge of their times. Most of what's written today far exceeds the morality, ethics, insights, and scientific accuracy of the Bible, and should, to any critically thinking person, carry much more weight. He also said this, So let's just be modern thinking people. I'm quoting. I read this just this morning. Modern thinking people. And fall back to a more comfortable position and stick with with the agreeable position that Jesus was a great religious and moral teacher. I just read this this morning. I said, "Wow, maybe I'm preaching something that's important." You ever found yourself saying that? Of course, those ancient people believed it, but but I'm modern. I know that these things just aren't real. You know, it's good for them, but they're gullible. They didn't have the science that we have, so of course they could believe that this could happen. Here's the problem with that common argument against the real physical resurrection of Jesus. When you read the Bible, what you'll find in the account of Jesus right after his death, leading up to his resurrection, past his resurrection, for 40 days on, his closest disciples and everybody else that was around him acted the exact same way that we act when we hear resurrection. No, no, no. That doesn't happen. So that's what I want to look at. I want to look at how the people back then reacted exactly like we react today. So let's go and see Luke's account of the resurrection in chapter 24. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that the people in Jesus' day needed a serious paradigm shift to themselves believe that Jesus had risen from the grave. They didn't have it in their mental models. They did not have this idea of someone in the middle of history rising from the dead. Now the Jews had a concept of a resurrection, but it was a resurrection of all people at the exact same time at the end of history. They had no mental model for this one person being raised from the dead right in the middle and so let's see how they responded. Let's see what these ancient people said to the story that Jesus had risen. Let's actually start in Luke 23, verse 50, just to give, a, give us some context here, okay? Now there was a man named Joseph from, Jer- uh, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action to kill Jesus. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, shroud, and laid him in the tomb, cut in the stone, where no one had yet been laid. Here's what's going on. Jesus died at about 3 p.m. on Friday. And they had to get the body down and into the grave before sundown because that's when the Jewish... Sabbath began. And a Sabbath was a time where no work was allowed, including burying of the dead. And so there was something of a rush. And so this man, who had been both sort of one of the religious elite in Israel, but he had also been fond of Jesus, asks if he can have the body. And he goes to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, and he asks, Hey, can I take the body and bury it? And Pilate says, Okay. And so he goes. And Jesus' body is still nailed to the cross, and he has to go and he has to take the body down, and he takes it to this tomb that he's owned. And the customs for the Jews would be to wrap the body in linens, and typically what you'd want to do is put oils and spices on the body so that as the body decomposed, it wouldn't The smell wouldn't be so unbearable. And then once the body had decomposed to the point of bones, then you'd go into the tomb, take the bones, put them in a bone box, and bury the box. That was kind of how it went. So they took down the body of Jesus, they wrapped it in linens, and they went to the tomb and put it in the tomb. Read with me now in verse 54. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him, that's Jesus, from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body had been laid. And what they saw is that the fullness of the burial preparation had not been done. And so it says this, Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. They went back to their house and got the spices and ointments ready so that after the Sabbath, which would have been Sunday, they could come back and put that on the body, and finish the job. That was their plan. Now note notice here. Their plan was not that, oh, Jesus talked about resurrection. So we'll come back and he'll be raised from the dead. No, they're like his body is going to start decomposing. We want to get we loved this man. We want to give him a proper burial so we'll come back after the Sabbath. And so we'll go home and we'll pre-prepare the spices and the ointments, which would have been expensive and would have taken time. And so there's no thought, there's no thought, even in their head, that Jesus won't be there when they come back. Chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, at early dawn, which was the earliest possible time legally that they could come without breaking the Sabbath, they, that's the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, Clearly expecting, right? That Jesus' body would be in the tomb. They'd put oils, spices on it. They'd probably cry over their great teacher, the one that they thought would be their Messiah, but's now dead. Verse 2, here's what they found. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And what do they say next? He is risen indeed. Let's take a look. Verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. Oh, yes. I remember when he said that. He was serious about that. You see how different that is than the idea? that I think most of us come with? Well, of course they would just assume that he's risen. No, they were perplexed. They didn't have the mental models of Jesus rising from the dead, even though he would told them this is what he's going to do. People don't rise from the dead. They knew that. Everyone knows that. Ancient people, modern people. So what do they do? Returning from the tomb, They told all these things to the 11, that's the 11 disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So they come back, they tell them what's happened. We've come to the tomb, it's empty. And then we saw these two disciples. Men in dazzling clothes, which is to say we saw two angels, and they told us, and they reminded us of everything that Jesus had said, that he was going to raise from the dead. They said that's why the tomb's empty. He had to rise. Now, of course, these are the apostles. These are the ones that started the church. So immediately when they heard the story, they proclaimed, he is risen indeed. No, they don't do that. (laughs) What do they say? Verse 11, but these words seemed to them, that's the apostles, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Well, we just told you, and there's a bunch of us, it's not just one of us. We all saw it. We don't believe you. This is a foolish tale. Why would they say that? They weren't expecting it, they had no idea, they had no preconceived notion that this was even possible. To them, it was nonsense. They thought these women were full of it. Does this reminds you of yourself when you hear the story of Jesus, when you read it in the scriptures. This is an idle tale. This isn't true. Those things don't happen. But look what happens next. Peter, he's kind of the leader of the bunch, he's also kind of known as the dense one. He's like, I don't believe it but i got to go confirm at least part of their story. He jumps up. Verse 12, it says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then, finally, of course, now that he's seen it for himself, he proclaims, He is risen! Nope. (laughs) Look what he did. He went home, (laughs) marveling at what had happened. Now, it doesn't say that he went home joyful and celebrating, proclaiming he is risen, but actually marveling, which here is, is something a little bit different than we, what we might think. It's more like extraordinarily impressed or extraordinarily disturbed. And I think he probably has a combination of both. It means astonished or having this sense of wonder about the unknown. So what it's not saying is that he went home Celebrating the resurrection, he went home marveling. This is an odd thing. The tomb is empty, the cloths are there, but there's no Jesus. Even after he's seen it, he's heard the story, he still doesn't believe. Verse 13. That very day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened, and they were talking and discussing together. When Jesus himself, so the resurrected Jesus, drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What's important here is that we see these accounts of the resurrected body, and what we'll see is that it's a physical body, but there's something different about it. It's not just like the exact same thing raised back to life. It's this new kind of glorious resurrection body and so we see these accounts where Jesus is able to do things that are sort of uncommon to his physical body including where people don't even recognize him so their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he said to them what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk and they stood still looking sad then one of them named Cleopas answered him are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You see this? Just like in America in 2016, everyone's heard of Jesus. He wasn't this fringe character. Everybody's heard of him. Everybody has an opinion about him. Everybody's heard kind of what's happened. They say, haven't you heard? Are you the only one that doesn't know? Are you the only one that doesn't have an opinion of Jesus? Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since, since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of these who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Notice what they don't say. We think he might have risen. They've just assumed that it's not true that he's not the Messiah, that he was just a great teacher and a prophet. This doesn't sound like gullible people to me. Superstitious people. Hyper supernatural folk. All these things they've seen and heard and they saw all the things that Jesus did and who he said he was and they just assume he has not risen. Verse 25, And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, that's all the Old Testament, all the Old Testament scriptures, before uh, we get to Jesus, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. But yet they still don't know that this is the risen Jesus. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is not far spent. So he went in to stay with them. I mean, this should baffle you. The risen Jesus is walking with these folks, and not only do they not recognize him, because they just cannot picture a world in which somebody is risen from the dead, but then he starts telling them and interpreting the scriptures in a way that no one's ever heard, that's profound in every sense of the imagination, and they still don't know who he is. But they want to have dinner with him because, you know, they're disciples and they heard that, you know, being nice to strangers is good. So they invite him in. It's kind of getting comical almost. Jesus, you know, kind of fakes like he's going to go, I've got to keep going. Oh, no, come, come with us. So they invite him in for food. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes Were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Finally, they got it. They sat down at the table. Jesus broke the bread like he'd done in the upper room and they recognized him, the risen Lord. Took a lot for them to recognize him. Verse 32. So they said to each other, did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road and he opened the scriptures? I love that because I do that all the time. After the fact, I'm like, oh, I knew it, man. Remember that? Yeah, I saw that movie. Man, I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. I'm sorry if you've never seen The Sixth Sense. I knew for sure he was a dead guy. (laughs) Okay. guys don't know what I'm talking about. Sorry if I ruined it. Great movie. We knew it. We knew. Oh, man, we knew it. But we didn't know it. But we knew it. So here's what they do. Verse 33, They rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven other disciples, those who were with them, gathered together, and they said this, The Lord has risen indeed. Finally, He's risen indeed. We've seen it. He's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. And so finally, He is risen indeed. They get it, right? All of the disciples finally believed these two men who weren't women So they can believe them, right? Verse 35. And as they were talking about these things, and they were obviously getting it, Jesus stood amongst them and said to them, Peace to you. And their reaction was, with a great chorus, He is risen indeed. Nope. (laughs) Wrong again. These gullible, superstitious, ignorant, ancient peoples looking for a resurrection, wanting to believe anything so that they wouldn't have to go back to their day jobs. Jesus stands in front of them. Peace be to you after hearing the account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, hearing of the women, the empty tomb. They get it, right? No. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a ghost. What? Resurrection is hard to believe even when the resurrected Jesus is standing in front of you, even when you've left everything to follow him, even when he said he would do it and now he's done it, even when people see the empty tomb, even when people have walked with him on the roads, and he's explained the scriptures, even then, it's hard to believe. And so they think they've seen a ghost. And they're frightened. Not excited. They're frightened. Verse 38. And Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you... Doubt, and why does doubt arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as, I, as you see that I have. Jesus is so patient with them. I love this part of it. Resurrection is hard to believe, and so Jesus is patient. He's so patient with them. He says, go ahead, feel me, touch me. I'm real. I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have flesh and bone. Still think these are skept- uh, These are gullible ancient people? They seem a lot like me. Even when he's in the room, they still can't believe that it's possible. Verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. I think proving I'm not a ghost. I'm not dead. Ghosts don't eat fish. Spirits don't need full stomachs. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning right here in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in this city until you're clothed with the power on high. So Jesus sat with them and he taught them because they didn't understand. They still didn't understand that the resurrection needed to happen and the resurrection could happen. And so he sat patiently and he taught them. And what we know from reading other New Testament documents is that Jesus didn't just this once come and teach them and open up the scriptures and open up their minds to help them understand. But it says, "...for forty days..." He continued to teach them. Now get your mind around this. Why did he have to spend 40 days? Because even after the first day, they still couldn't fully believe that the resurrection had happened. And after day two, they still had a hard time understanding, did this really happen? And after day three, they were still rustling, I don't really know if resurrection is possible. And after day four, and on and on, and for 40 days, Jesus continued to prove to them that he is real, that he has risen and that it's indeed true. I hope that's reassuring to you that even for the disciples, those who were the most all-in on Jesus before his death still had a hard time believing in the resurrection. And so, if when you hear the story of the resurrection, if you sit in on Easter and you hear people talking about he has risen, he has risen indeed, and immediately this defense mechanism pops up and said, those are just ancient people here's what I want to tell you. It's not true. They're as much like you and you're as much like them when it comes to the resurrection. Yeah, you might be able to Google resurrection really quick on your phone. You might be able to watch Discovery Channel documentaries and you might have all this data and information and technology that they didn't have. But when they heard of the resurrection, even when they saw it, it was hard to believe. They weren't gullible They weren't superstitious. They weren't just hoping for a miracle. They were convinced of it when they saw Jesus. And for 40 days, he explained to them why this is the way it had to be. But eventually, they gave it up. (laughs) Eventually, they became indeed people. Eventually, they were so convinced in the resurrection that each and every one of the disciples And many, many more who aren't kind of a part of that inner group would ultimately give their lives to defending the claim that Jesus had risen from the grave. And it seems to me that the only possible explanation for that, how you could go from so much skepticism and doubt to fully committing your life up to the point of death, is that you indeed met the risen Jesus. So who do you say that Jesus is? You still think that he's just a teacher? A great prophet? A moral guide? Or do you want to say, indeed, he's risen? And if you say, indeed, then you must cease to treat Jesus like just one amongst many good teachers. You've got to cease picking and choosing when you're going to go to Him for advice and when to heed His instruction. And you must start responding to His commands as if indeed He is your Lord. As if indeed He's the Lord of heaven and earth. As if indeed He's your personal Lord and Savior because He went to the cross and He died in your place for your sin. And indeed He rose again. That you might have new life along with him. Everlasting life only comes because Jesus rose from the grave. That's my hope that each of us in the room today, no matter what our background is or how we've answered this question in the past, would answer today, "He's risen indeed." <laughs> and that we'd say it with confidence. That we're not hard on ourselves, that for year after year after year of hearing the Easter story, maybe we only really just said, well, I know He's risen, but we never believed it fully in our heart. And it never changed the way we lived. Don't be hard on yourself. Just start today saying, indeed. I hope we're that kind of a church. I hope we're an indeed church, that we get excited about the resurrection that we get excited personally about what Jesus has done, what He's proved, and that we go and we tell the world that Jesus is Lord of all. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that everything wars against us, that modern science and technology and the media, they all war against us telling us this is not true. Resurrection doesn't happen. But Lord, as we process and as we consider honestly the claims of Christ, who Himself said, I must die, and on the third day I'll rise again. And I must do it for Your forgiveness of sin and for the restoration of the whole world that that when we hear it, we don't just immediately disregard The real question, is it true? By saying these are just ancient people. They're so different than us. Of course they believed. Of course they thought that Jesus had risen. They wanted to believe it. They wanted it so bad that they just made it up. Lord, take that excuse away from us. And if we need to do some research and study, and if we need to think of every other possible explanation that might be out there as to why these people would give up their life And why generation after generation would give up their life to claim that Jesus is risen. When they could have just said, like many in Jesus' day, that he was just a great teacher. They didn't have to say that he'd risen. Help us to not be okay with simple explanations. But help us to consider fully who you are and what you've done through your son Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.